You are listening to Forging Employee Experience. I'm Josh Green, joined here by none other than Alexander Norris. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm having a really positive experience here on our podcast, which I think is, is good. We all talk about the employee experience. I would hope it would be good. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I what it's about. It's about it's about being happy and 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 making sure that you know we all feel like we're contributing meaningfully. And and I feel I feel those things as we mm-hmm. start this podcast today. Well, I'm really excited about our guest. We have Mary Faulkner on the phone. How are you, Mary? I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Let me tell you a little bit more about Mary before we jump in here. Mary is a talent strategist, a speaker, and problem solver. She is the author of the blog, Surviving Leadership, and is a regular contributor on HR Examiner, Recruiting Daily, and other publications. We had the wonderful privilege of meeting her in person and just have really benefited from your insights, so we're excited to have you in the show. Uh, Mary, is there anything else we need to know about you? Um, just a little plug for Disrupt HR. So I am a co-chair of the Denver chapter of Disrupt HR. We're in over 150 cities now um, around the world. Uh, and it's, uh, it's an evening of networking and presentations in Ignite style. And it's just really exciting to do it. And we're, we love doing it because it's about different ways to talk about people in the workplace. So I wanted to put that plug in. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, if you've never seen an, a Disrupt HR presentation mm-hmm. you just need to google it right now because this is next level information on the future of hr it's extremely disruptive it's it's not your run of the mill we're trying to get sherm credit for it it's very much like things need to change and we are the people to do it so thanks for that plug we're huge fans uh looking forward to the next time you guys come out to boston and uh and that's great so so mary let's go ahead and jump right in here we talk a lot about engagement on this podcast. We talk about the employee experience. Tell us a little bit about how would you define employee engagement and, um, and what's your experience in this field? Um, so engagement is very interesting because it's, it's really evolved over the years and how people think about it, talk about it, even define it. Um, so I remember at a past organization, we, you know, we were struggling with, engagement scores and turnover and and the conference board had a a definition that we used to use that I liked that was sort of uh, it was the discretionary uh, effort that people put in and the intent to stay and all these sorts of things and it's like oh yeah that's really good and then I kept looking at it and saying well I don't think that's everything and I don't know that discretionary effort is necessarily engagement because you can buy discretionary effort you can give people more money it won't be long term but you could um, you might get it for a short period of time. Uh, engagement is on a scale. It could change moment to moment. But more importantly, engagement is a choice by an employee. It's nothing that an, an organization can do to you. You can set up an environment, hopefully, that people will choose to be engaged. But I'm not entirely certain we've cracked the code yet. Um, in fact, my friend Paul Hebert, who's amazing, you should have him on the podcast as well. But Paul just wrote a, a blog post about this around uh, the need to feel valued. And I really, that really resonated with me. Mm, That engagement is really about a person feeling like the work that they're doing is valued. Mm. And uh, I think that kind of ties into, do you feel like the work that you're doing is valued? And do you personally feel valued at the organization? So I, I liked that approach to it. I love it. And, and, and can we just try together for a moment to to just crack the code? I love how you said that because we feel the exact same way. Engagement is is a very positive thing, but it's only the beginning of where we're moving in this field. And, and 
when you think of engagement, sometimes we think of that discretionary effort or we talk about certain platforms for rewards or doing employee engagement surveys, but there, there's so much more out there. I, according to you, if you were to, you know, look into the future a little bit here, what would you say, where, where do you think we're headed with all of this? Um, you know, I, you, you hear a lot about employee experience, which is the attempt to really uh, broaden the discussion around engagement. I think where it's really going to go to is that hyper-personalization. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Honestly, I'm not sure what the future holds for that. But that idea of your work experience is going to be personalized to you. You'll have more option on how you want to work, the way that you want to work, um, you know, where you want to work, all those things. The challenge with that is you'll still have jobs that can't do that. So, you know, manufacturing jobs or, you know, I used to work for a water utility and we had guys who were laying pipe. You can't really do that virtually. So I think you can. <laughs> I've played a number of video games though. Where... Yeah, right. I know. I train. So, <laughs> I train. Right. 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 Of course. But, absolutely. But, but it'll, it, they'll continue to be this divide as, because if you even listen today, when we talk about engagement, it tends to be the professional employees in an office environment. We're not talking about the hourly employees in retail, part-time workers, um, the, the folks doing labor out in the fields, any of that. So I think what I hope to see in the future is that we shift and start thinking about what does engagement look like for them and how do we help help them be engaged in their work. I, I know from experience that a lot of times it's the mission of the organization. Mm. Um, they, they do the work because they believe in what they're doing. Um, but it's still, some of that is really crappy work. You know? right, right. So, so it's a balance and it's looking at the holistic approach of how you, you make employees feel valued. How do you reward them? Um, and, how do you give them some autonomy in the work that they're doing without compromising safety, compromising what the company's trying to do, mm-hmm. and and just make sure that that the business succeeds. So, so that hyper personalization, I I want to dig into that just a little bit because I, I think that's absolutely fascinating. H- how do we get hyper personalized? And right now, a lot of the the advice that we receive from engagement consultants is hold regular one on ones with your employees. It's very much a personal thing. You find out how they're feeling, you tap into their thoughts, and you hopefully adjust what you're doing. But when you're dealing with huge enterprises and it's very difficult when you have 30, 60, 80 direct reports, it's very difficult. And so I think that there are certain solutions that we're looking at starting to explore with, with technology, but um, have you seen anyone who's doing it well? Have you seen anyone start to make any moves towards that hyper-personalization? I think where you, you're starting to see it more in some of the um, uh, services that are out there. So benefits administration, for example, uh, there are more and more uh, providers out there who are offering sort of that, uh, you know, that chatbot approach where you log in and you talk to the chatbot and they start talking to you and you don't have to deal with the human being necessarily, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they'll, they'll also have data from whatever you're willing to share with them that can start to recommend uh, services to you. So it's like, oh, we noticed that you have enrolled in FMLA because you're having a baby. Did you remember to 
sign your baby up for your benefits? Did you remember to uh, maybe get some more life insurance for that baby? Did you remember to set them as a, as a beneficiary? So you're starting to see it um, on some of the outskirts of services that employees can have. Um, you see it in financial planning. You see it in wellness programs. So I, I don't know if I've seen anybody do it spectacularly just yet. It's, I think we're just all on cusp of seeing that happen. Um, the challenge, though, is while the technology is, is starting to grow out there and, and you're going to start seeing it become more commonplace, it's not fully understood. Um, there are still some ethical questions that um, are raised from time to time about, you know, we measure so much and there's so much data out there. How are we using it? And are we using our powers for good or evil? Mm. Um, and also just technology isn't always going to be the answer. Sometimes it's just the human side of things and having the right mindset about how you think about your people, how you think about your employees and um, how you're really showing the value to your employees. It's not necessarily through the technology, but it's, it's how you interact with them. You're absolutely right. And I, and I love that emphasis on, on that, that, you know, you can't have hyper-personalization without a person, you know, mm. you, you just, you can't do it. If you're, you're going to try right. to make things really individual and, and custom tailored, um, we, you can't just assume that technology is going to give you all the answers. Um, but, but talking to this technology piece, it's really interesting. Um, you know, you, you talked about, you mentioned about, you know, how far we've come with, with employee engagement. And, and part of me wonders, you know, we've been, I think as an industry really focused on this idea of survey collection, you know, we're, we're trying, we're trying to understand, we're trying to information gather, which is, which is a good, it's a good first step to say, okay, how do I uh-huh. enhance the employee experience? Well, I, I, I survey my employees to figure out how they're feeling right now and what they want to make it better. Seems like a logical right. first step. Uh, but it seems like we've been doing that for a couple of decades now, and that hasn't really helped at all. Um, do we think it's a problem with the mechanism or is it a problem with the actions after the fact? Is it hedging my best to say yes? Uh, <laughs> I, I think. Yeah, that's. Fine. I think it's both. <laughs> I really do. I okay. I think it's both. I mean, when you think, I mean, I've worked at organizations where the engagement survey was seventy-five plus questions. Right. It's like I got disengaged just from taking the survey. Exactly, and then you have all these, this, these data points that you're giving to managers who haven't been developed, haven't been given any training, don't have the time, are, are staffed so leanly, they can't even hold one-on-ones, and you're saying, okay, fix your team. Right. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to focus on? 90% of the things that they're complaining about are outside of my pay grade. They don't like the benefits, or they don't like the hours, or they don't like the location. Or, I mean, right. So I think it is a bit of both. I think there's a bit of survey fatigue so you're starting to see a move towards uh, more pulse surveys so that you can cut down the time between when you get the information and when you can act on the information. But then pulse surveys are usually one to two questions and they might not be getting to the heart of things. There's the other issue when you look at surveys is, is trust. If you are in an organization where the employees just don't trust their leadership, you're not gonna get an honest answers. Um, I remember I worked at a, uh, a company that had gone through a lot of change. It was a, a geographically dispersed group. And uh, we did one of those greatest places to work type surveys because you get the free 
<laughs> free information. We decided to go ahead and <laughs> yeah. get the full. <laughs> yeah. right. like, well, right. we're going to do it. Right, right. <laughs> well, we, we did, to their credit, we loved their tool, so we went ahead and got the, the full report. But uh, I remember the CEO was so excited. He's like, oh, it's going to come out great. I'm like, um, just to prepare you, this is the first time they've ever been asked any of these questions. They've been going through a lot of change. I don't think we're going to rate that high. Mm-hmm. And when we got the when we got the information back, he was crushed. He mm-hmm. took it personally. Yeah. <laughs> I said, "It's not you. It's just this is the first time anyone's asked them these questions. They don't have a lot of visibility. So what we're going to do is we'll look for trends. Don't get caught up on all of the comments that you're seeing. Look for the trends. What are they saying? They don't know what's happening at corporate. We can address that. You know those types of things. Yeah. But but for the most part, if you are in an organization that has low, low trust, they're not even going to trust that the responses are anonymous. Absolutely. I worked worked at one place where the engineers, God bless them, the engineers (laughs) hacked, (laughs) they, they hacked through the tool to prove that it wasn't truly anonymous because it was gathering IP addresses. Um, (laughs) And I was kind of like, I was just like, well, let's, let's address that issue separately. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. It's, just, instead of answering the survey. <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't trust it was going to be anonymous. We're like, don't worry. It's anonymous. All we're going to get is the aggregate results. Right. Um, they just need to know whether or not you've completed the, the survey. So they, they will just give us the results. Mm-hmm. And like, we don't believe it's going to be anonymous. Like, trust us. We don't gather any of that information. So they hacked it to make sure to succeed. It's gathering the IP address. And that's sort of like, wow, that is really low trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got valued about their low trust, which is yeah, terrible. Yeah. And I was that just sucks. sort of like, well, do you really think I have access to your IP address? I don't understand you. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, it, but it just kind of goes to show that was probably the most engaged those engineers had been in months too. That's the funny thing. <laughs> we, we, we made some progress there yeah, that's right. for better. Or worse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and you highlight a great issue here, you know, it, it's the, the reason why we're asking you to do these surveys is because we want to hear how you're feeling. And if you are saying that we don't trust you, instead of taking it so personal, it's like, what, what can we do to change to, to make the organization better? That's the whole reason why we are even, even running the surveys. So, so, so talk to us a little bit about what do we do once we have the survey data? It sounds like you, you've done a great job working with individual companies of, we've got the data, it's right in front of us. Now, what do we do? Cause I feel like sometimes organizations, they jump straight to a policy or a procedure Mm-hmm. or something yeah. that they can do as a checklist instead of implementing maybe a mission vision? Yeah, so kind of back to the timestamp issue, sometimes by the time you get the data, the things that employees were frustrated about are no longer an issue. So that's one thing that you need to look at to see, is there a lot of consternation around um, whether it was, you know, there was construction in the parking lot, so people were really frustrated by their commute well the construction's done you know so we don't have to address that mm-hmm. the other thing though that I think companies tend to do but the mistake is they ask questions about things they are not willing to change so if you are unwilling to change your benefit strategy if you are unwilling to change your virtual workplace strategy whatever that might be don't ask about it 
because I think one of the bigger mistakes that I see is employees will overwhelmingly tell you we want X and leadership says, oh, well, we're never changing X. Mm-hmm. Well, then we should never have asked about it. Right. Hmm. And, that's and, that's, and that's what builds that cycle of distrust. It's like, well, if you, don't, if you didn't want my opinion, then don't ask, the, and to act on it, then why, do, why should I even give it to you? So there's that. I think companies also, or leadership and companies, are really frustrated or frustrate their employees because they go, they go dark. It's like we took this survey. It does take time. If you do a really big survey and you're a massive organization, it takes time for the analysis to get done and the report to be sent to the leadership team. You need to be communicating with your employees throughout that entire piece to say, here's what the process is, here's what we're going through, thank you for your feedback. And then when you get it, it's like you said, you can't just go straight to a policy procedure. Now, I will say, if your employees are telling you our time off request process is a train wreck, fix it. That's an easy fix. That's not a, we have problems with our managers. That's a system fix. Go ahead and fix it. And and that's like a just do it type of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I too often it's leadership not willing to admit their role in what the employees are saying. Uh, leadership not seeing the bigger picture. It's, it's there's, if you look at the, the traditional cycle of employment, engagement surveys it's usually you know we take we take this survey and the next year we retake it to see if anything improved or they do it in two years right and that's not really the right approach because that's in apples to apples well at that point in time we were here so in this point in time we should be better you're not you're not a yearly you know year-to-date store uh sales (laughs) metric these are people these are people's attitudes turnover has happened leadership has has changed uh-huh. so that that's that's not necessarily the right approach i think what companies need to think about more is the themes that they're seeing and looking at is something about the way that they've set up how work happens in their organization creating the frustration that employees are feeling mm. so if they're telling you they don't like their manager yeah maybe that one manager is a jerk so deal with that manager but if enough people are telling you that they don't like their manager maybe you need to look at the way that you select and develop your manager. That's a long-term process. That is not going to show up in a survey year to year. Um, so you, if you really want to use that data smartly, you got to think bigger picture. And, and, and it sounds like not only do you have to have that strategic vision too, but you have to just make sure you're willing to put in the effort, you know, put in the work. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I just, I absolutely love what you just said um, about not asking questions that you're unwilling to change. Um, because I, I think from a, from a executive level or for, from, from a higher up point of view, it's, it's often probably this idea of, oh, well, we just want to know what their opinion about the benefits packages. We can't change it, but we're curious to know if they like it or not. And it's like, yeah, you, you might be, but you, yeah, it's actually kind of disrespectful to your folks to be like, Hey, can you tell me what you think about this? We're not going to change it, but we're just curious to know if you're all miserable and <laughs> we're not going to do right. about it, you know. So it's 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 building, and it and it's and it's very much this cyclical, like making sure that you're always showing that you're making changes. How in in response to those surveys, how would you advise a mid level manager or someone who you know maybe doesn't necessarily have a, a, a you know but a budget or um you know can't really do much on their own as far as company wide changes, but wants to 
have a more engaged team. What can they do tomorrow to start having that more engaged team using potentially some of the data that the company's gathered from from surveys? Um, I think, gosh, it depends on the team, depends mm-hmm. on the size of the team. But one of the things that I've seen that can be really helpful is for a manager to just go to the team and say, what do we need to do? You know, what do you, how can we make this better? You know, listening to the team's suggestions as to that, um, right. I mean, most of the time when you get this data, it's, uh, it is broken. You know, if your team is big enough, you just get an aggregate to say, in general, our team thought X. Um, right. So you can kind of bring that to them. But it's, it's really about just building a team that has some autonomy in it, of, right. of feeling like they have a voice, feeling like they are peers to each other. Um, I remember one team that I managed that, it was at a, it was at an organization that had a tough culture. We had sure. really high turnover, sure. but we had an amazing team. And part of it was just the people we hired. We were so lucky to have just amazing people, but also we just decided like, listen, I am here to run cover for you and I need you to tell me what you need me to do for you. And I think it's, it's a little bit like servant leadership in a way, but it's also that willingness to say, my job as your manager is to remove your obstacles and give you cover. Right. Your job as employees are to, support each other, give each other feedback, be honest with each other. So we used to do like peer reviews of the work that they were working on um, because I managed instructional designers. So, you know, we'd have these projects that were going on and they'd show it to the rest of the team and get that feedback. Um, So I just, I just kind of set them loose to use their strengths and gave them some parameters. And I think that a a mid-level manager has that as an opportunity for themselves is to just kind of go to their team and say, what can we do to make this better? What are you missing? It could be as simple as I don't have the right keyboard to do my job. Well, I can fix that. I've got, I can go and get you a new keyboard or something like that. But to just be honest and open and say, I want to get better. What do we need to do differently? Mm. Now, if you don't have strong trust with your team, you're not going to get really great answers. Or you'll get answers that say, oh, I thought we were talking about the executive team, not you. Right. <laughs> Which do, do will sometimes think, happen. Do you think, though, I, I feel like in my experience, it's been folks are, are very, are actually surprisingly quick to start trusting again once they start to see proof that change is happening. You know, so even if you do start with that team that, eh, there's not a great foundation of trust, once you start actually doing things to show that, no, we're, we got guys, we're serious. We are, I am, we are going to start listening. Or I am going to start listening to you and, you know, give me a chance to prove it sort, sort of mentality. Right. Um, it, it seems like right. you know, repairing that can, can be pretty effective. It's, you know what I mean? You just have to follow through, um, which is not necessarily yeah. always the easiest thing to do, but um, it, it is possible. And, and, and I love that piece. Then you also highlighted this idea of, of giving parameters and instructions. Can, can you speak to us as we, as, we, as we wrap up here today, can you speak to us a little bit about the danger of responding sometimes with policies as opposed to, um, you know, these, these big, you know, perhaps, I, I think of it as bumper lanes, right? And, you know, here's your left and your right <laughs> limits. Uh, anything in here is okay. Just do, do what you got to do as opposed to, you know, coming out with a whole book of, of policies and procedures in response to uh, even, even in a, in, in a positive intention response to surveys, survey results. If you over policy, if you, if you put too many policies into, into a workplace, what you're basically saying is we don't trust 
our managers and we don't trust our employees to make smart decisions. So we have to detail everything out in ridiculous amounts. And, and so people just sort of abdicate their own personal autonomy when that happens. Right. They're like, well, I'm going to go, if you make me a really super detailed policy, I'm just going to go to the policy. I mean, the example I always bring up is, is a dress code, but it's such a great way to look at it because so the dress code had everything, including, you know, you can't wear blue jeans. You can't wear t-shirts that have this on this. You can't that. So they read through the policy and said, well, it doesn't say we can't wear black jeans. Mm-hmm. So they started wearing black jeans. So when you go to that level of detail, people will get, will get frustrated because they think, hey, you don't trust me. B, you're treating me like I'm a kindergartner mm-hmm. and you're giving me no wiggle room to make decisions like an adult. So if, and <laughs> I've worked at places <laughs> where you would look at a policy and say, oh, that's the Tim policy. We had to put that uh, policy in place because Tim did X, Y, Z. And then you get this. Good for so, you, Tim. Way to leave your legacy. <laughs> I know, the legacy. So like, the reason why the employee policy manual is 500 pages is Tim and Rob's fault. But no, <laughs> it is one through 600. Or, yeah, that's funny. Right. But, but it, it, it puts too much distance between leadership and the employees when you just uh, respond with a policy, just it's, it's about changing behavior. It's about having conversations about that behavior in large, in large organizations. I know it's super hard. If, I mean, I've worked with people who had 40 direct reports. You're not having one-on-one at best. You might be having all team meetings every month or so. So it's about what behaviors are you tolerating are you rewarding in the organization? And what behaviors are you as a leader demonstrating to your people? Because people will look up and see who is getting rewarded. And if you think that, well, that jerk who got promoted in the other group, that doesn't affect my people, it absolutely does. Mm-hmm. So rather than write a policy, look at just how you're making decisions and behaving on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and Mary, I think you make a great point. And having, having a solid mission or uh, a statement that is very clear and easy to understand is really easy to to put into place. I mean, it's hard to discover it, but once you have it in place, all of a sudden, all of your behavioral expectations can get, can point right back to that. I mean, in the interview that you gave to us, uh, you, you gave us an example of the Ritz-Carlton, the whole, we are ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, and we don't need a whole policy manual to let you know what that means. It's, are you, are you acting like a lady or a gentleman right now? And if not, how can we correct that behavior so that you are in line with our mission? Right. And, and the thing is though, whatever mission or vision that you decide to put out there, if you're not living it, you shouldn't have even put one out there. Mm-hmm. So the simplest ones are companies that are already operating that one. And then they realize, Oh, that is our mission. So the reason why the Ritz Carlton one works so well is because their policies are in line with it. They have a discretionary budget with which they can solve problems for their people because they trust that the people will do this. But that, that attitude is everywhere from when they hire them, when they yeah. onboard them, when they, I mean, it's throughout, it's all aligned. It's all about the alignment. So making sure that your mission is truly believed in, uh, means that every decision that you make is done through the lens of that belief as your organization. 
Yes, and modeling that behavior as a leader. Uh, so great, Mary. This has been a wonderful discussion. As we wrap up, we just want to go ahead and um, ask one final question. If, there, if there's any practical advice that you could give to any of our listeners who have really enjoyed some of the things that you've talked about today, and they're like, how do we get started? Where do we go from here? Uh, can you give us a, a gem or two in there? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Only one or two. <laughs> Only one or two. So I know my tendency is to tell you to go read a book uh, or read an article or something like that. That's a good habit. But I would, yeah. But I would say familiarize yourself with with some thoughts around employee engagement and the employee experience today. You know, find some folks on Twitter, find some folks who have written great books. I mean, Simon Sinek's a great one. I'm gonna throw another shout out to Paul Hebert who has done amazing work on this over the past 20 plus years. Um, but I would also say just just try something. Don't wait for it to be perfect. Uh, tell your teams you're going to be trying something new. If you let people know that, hey, I want to get better at X, they will assume you are. They will, they will perceive your behavior as a change, even if you're not really changing anything. It's a weird psychological thing. But just be open and accept that you're going to fail. Sometimes you will fail miserably, but you're probably not going to die because of it. Mm-hmm. So just just get started and try it and, and be open to the fact that you're trying to do it. Absolutely love it. That was such a wonderful discussion. We're excited to pick it apart a little bit more. But thanks again, Mary, for joining us on the show. Again, everyone, feel free to check out her blog, Surviving Leadership. And uh, Mary, we'll look forward to our future conversations. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. This is fun. Thanks, Mary.